So this morning we are going to be uh, looking at the, begin our look at the Christian doctrine of vocation. And this is essentially going to be an overview of what we're going to be getting into. And then the coming weeks we'll get into more of the specifics and the details of what we're going to talk about today. And uh, so we're going to be in several passages, uh, but we're going to begin with our first passage this morning, which is from 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 5. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. You can find this uh, passage on page 1014 in the Pew Bible. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. I'll bring the text up on the screen. Hear the word of the Lord. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. So our habit, uh, Bailey, in October as we celebrate the Reformation is to is to consider the, in the month of October a, an aspect. Uh, a, oh, there we go. Not on yet. There we are. Um, our uh, uh, so we in October we consider a series of an aspect of Reformed theology, and uh, there's a several reasons that we uh, that we talk about Reformed theology and we look at something a, a, a doctrine like vocation even, uh, but we looked at. Um, uh, we've looked at the doctrines of grace. We've looked at a lot of different uh, a doctrine, the doctrine of Scripture. We've looked at these different ones. And there's several reasons we do this. First, uh, we do it to celebrate God's past work and the recovery of the Scriptures and the gospel in the Reformation. Uh, second, we want to acknowledge the, uh, the, the depth of, of history that has gone before us in which God has worked uh, to bring us here today. We recognize that we did not arrive here as an ahistorical people who just sprouted out of the ground somehow, but that we actually come from a long heritage and history of believers and Christians. And third, uh, we do this so we can continue the reformation of the church, which, which, which is to continue the work of the reformation. The work of the reformation was simply to move to place God, and this is a quote from Carl Truman, to move to place God as he has revealed himself in Christ at the center of the church's life and thought. And so we want to continue to reform the church, to move Jesus to the center of the thought and life of the church. And so we continue to do that today. And so we are introducing here the doctrine of Christian vocation. Now, now, vocation is a word that we're usually loosely familiar with. We usually prefer the word vacation as to vocation. Uh, vacation is, um, uh, is a wonderful word. It uh, generally means to vacate, right, to freedom, to, take a, uh, a, to vacate your responsibilities for a time, to leave often, to go somewhere, to take a break. And often we'll say we need a vacation so we can go back to our vocation. And they work hand in hand. And even though they're, these are words that are only split off by one vowel, they are very different words. Uh, vocation, the issue we have with the word vocation is honestly our view of vocation, our definition for that word is too limited. 
uh, as we understand it today. Because if someone asks you what's your vocation, you're probably going to reply with the general field of your work. So you would say, okay, well, uh, what, what's your vocation? Well, I work in the oil industry, or I work in the medical field, or I work in this, I'm in, uh, I'm in the education uh, field. We think of that type of field of study. When I was in high school, there was two tracks that you had to, you had to select from, and you either were in the college track, uh, or you were in the vocational track, the non-college track. And so you would pick one of those, and, you, and they would try to prepare you a bit more uh, for which direction you were going to head. But it's, the problem there is that vocation just means not college degree work. But that's not what vocation is. Vocation actually gets its meaning from the word where we get the word voice. It's to vocate, it's to call. It's the, Latin, the Latin word just means calling. That's what vocation is, it's calling. It's a very broad term that encompasses actually the whole of the Christian life. Now, we struggle with this because we tend to have a compartmentalized view of life. Oftentimes, uh, many people, even in the church, view life in this way. Okay? So we have our life in the big rectangle there, and then one section of it is the Christian part, and then everything else goes in the big part. And now, if the Christian part is bigger, then we're really religious, then we're super Christians, the, the bigger the Christian part gets. Uh, and, uh, but that's generally uh, how um, people view, and this, uh, and this has actually historically been called the sacred-secular divide. And it does have a history to it. You, you can actually trace it back to the Roman Catholic Church. Because the Roman Catholic Church at one time taught that, uh, that only certain class of people had vocation. Only a certain class of people had calling, and that was clergy. That was priests and nuns and monks. Only they had uh, vocation and calling from God. And, uh, and, and so... Uh, and, and now, to some degree, there's a certain logic here because we say, okay, well, there's the Christian things that I do in my life. I go to church, I read my Bible, I pray, and that stuff fits into one category. But, you know, non-Christians go to the grocery store. Non-Christians go to my uh, place of work. So that can't be a Christian thing. That's a common thing. And so, and so there's distinctly Christian things in my life, and then there's common things in my life. And so that's why I kind of make this, uh, this divide. Uh, but again, the, the, the problem here is that it assumes that God doesn't really have anything to say about the everything else category, that he's not really that involved or he doesn't care what goes on in the everything else outside of the Christian part category. And, uh, and so in that, like I said, it goes back to the idea that only those who uh, were had only those who were clergy in the church, uh, in the Roman Catholic Church, had calling, had vocation. Uh, and, and, and in order to be truly spiritual, then, to, be, to have a sacred life, uh, it meant that you had to, uh, you couldn't marry because that was worldly. You had to make a vow of celibacy. You couldn't uh, make money because that was worldly as well, so you would take a vow of poverty. And you couldn't, like, hold public office. You couldn't be involved with making laws or any kind of thing with society. So you would, uh, you would make a vow of obedience to God. And often uh, the idea is that if you wanted to be truly holy, then you need to cloister yourself off, separate yourself off into the desert uh, away from society. Now, some of you say, I really still want to do that. But that's a, that's a whole different reason. Um, but the Reformation changed that. 
the Reformation came in and changed that, particularly with this thing that we call the doctrine of vocation, the doctrine of calling. And so today we're going to examine simply uh, what vocation means. And what we're going to see today is three things. That vocation means that your life, and by your life I mean all of your life, is sacred to God. Uh, and secondly, you're gonna, we're going to see that God is at work in the world uh, and to, through you. That God is at work in the world through you and I. And third, we're going to see that vocation means that we are called to glory. We're going to look at each one this morning. So first, let's uh, see how vocation means that your life is sacred. And your life is sacred because, as the scriptures tell us, we are called by God as priests. We are called by God as priests. And this goes to our passage that we read at the beginning. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Now, no one told Peter that you can't mix metaphors. Or if he did, he, or if they did, he said, well, watch me. Right? Because he says the people of God are both the spiritual temple and also the priests who make sacrifices within that temple. All right, and there's, there's, there's a rich depth uh, to meaning to what Peter is uh, talking about here in 1 Peter chapter 2. But I want to focus on that aspect that we are, uh, we are to be a holy priesthood unto God. He says four verses later that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, and Revelation chapter 5, verse 10, declare that by the blood of his own son, the Father has made his people into a kingdom of priests. And so the first thing we need to see here is that our work of vocation, our calling as the people of God, belongs to our salvation. That by the life and death of our Savior, we have been redeemed and transformed and turn from rebels into, as Peter says, and John says in Revelation, we have become priests of God. And that's everyone. And so this means that pastors and theologians are not the priests, but all of God's people, men, women, and children, all who call on Jesus as Lord and Savior are priests of God. We are a royal and holy priesthood, all of us. But what is a priest in this sense? Well, the priests of old would, uh, would go between God and the people, making sacrifices on their behalf for sin and instructing the people in what they must do. But Christ has come and he has put a need, an end to the need for blood sacrifice of sin with his own sacrifice because he is both the ultimate high priest and the Lamb of God that was slain for sin. But Christ, through his blood, Peter says, and John tells us in his vision, but Christ, by his blood, separates us, cleanses us, sanctifies, which means to set apart, sets us apart for service and worship unto God. That is what priests do. They serve and worship the Lord. Even in the Hebrew, the word serve and worship is the same word. We are given our vocation then as God's people, as Christians, to live as priests of God. And as such, we are called by God to do good as his priests. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, 
the Apostle Paul says, we are his workmanship, created. I always think of a wood shop when I see that verse. I don't know about you. I think of a, we are his workmanship. He is crafting us, right? We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Again, there's great depth to this verse, but fundamentally, we could say that our life as priests uh, of God is worship. We are to offer spiritual sacrifices, to proclaim the excellencies of God who has shown us such mercy, as Peter tells us. And then Paul says here that we are made by God for a purpose, to do the good works that God has already planned for you and I to do personally for those, for those around us. I love Martin Luther's quote here. He says, God does not need your good works, but your neighbor does. And so as we think about our vocation, our calling as priests of God, and what Luther called and what the Reformation has embraced as the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers, we see that Christian vocation, the Christian calling of our lives, is the place where we live our faith out in Jesus. Vocation is where faith bears its fruit in our lives, in this world, moment by moment, day by day. It is basically uh, what we, uh, the, the third member vow that we take when we join this church, when we promise by the grace of the Holy Spirit and commit our lives to live as becomes the followers of Jesus. We're committing a vow of Christian vocation, to live as a Christian. Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, that by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. Older translations would say this is your reasonable act of service unto God. As priests of God, our, our lives are living sacrifices of worship to him. We've been set apart for God in his grace that we may serve and love him. And so our calling, our vocation, our job, if you will, as Christians, is what Paul says in Galatians 5-6, faith working through love. Certainly one of the best summaries of our calling as priests of God is, comes from the mouth of our Lord who told us simply, love the Lord your God. And love your neighbor. So what does this mean practically though? Well it means that you and I need to take a holistic view. When it comes to. Uh, when it comes to how much of our life belongs to God. God isn't merely interested in redeeming our eternal destiny. He has, he has a calling for you and I. A vocation for us in the here and now. To serve him as priests, loving him and doing good to our neighbors, Christian and non-Christian alike. That means that there are no insignificant Christians in the Christian church. There are no sideline Christians. There are no classes of Christians. If you are in Christ, then you need to embrace your calling as a priest of God. And you also find out why the Roman Catholic Church found this so offensive when the Reformation happened. But this means your whole life is 
sacred unto God. Secondly, vocation means that God is at work. And we want to talk about here about the primary way that God is at work. And we're, we're going to be exploring this more in detail uh, in the coming weeks. But the primary way that God is at work in your life is through providence. Through his ruling and governing of all creatures and all their actions according to his, his holy will. Proverbs 16.9 we could go to a ton of verses here, but Proverbs 16.9 really speaks to what we want to focus on today, which is the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. It means I'm going to choose to go to church today. I'm going to choose to go over here today. I'm going to choose to go this way. But it is the Lord who establishes our steps and leads us in the path that he desires us to go. Vocation is the place where faith is lived out. And it's the place where God orders our lives according to his will. We make our plans, but we don't know if they will be successful. For more information, see the last three years or so. Right? And so we trust the Lord to establish our steps as we make our plans. As one psalmist says, we trust the Lord to establish the work of our hands. We do our labor. We do the best we can. But we have to trust the Lord. Because unless the Lord builds a house, we labor in vain, don't we? So this is what I mean. God is at work in your life. God, is at work, God has been at work in your life all the way up to this very moment. All the things that make you, you, from your genetics to your life experiences, all come by the providences of God. This is, and, we do, and we make differentiations between different types of providences. There are blessed providences, providences of God, joyful providences of God, uh, and, and then also hard and difficult providences of God. The time in which you live. The very fact that you're here today listening to me is the providence of God. You might say that's a hard providence <laughs> or a good one. I don't know. So that's a, I'll, I'll leave that to you. Uh, this, but, but the skills that you have, the opportunities that you have enjoyed or not enjoyed, you know, it's like I just I always love talking about how I got fired from a glue factory. They're like, would you were you sniffing it? That's what I you know, that's what I know people are secretly asking. But no, I wasn't. Um, I was working in sales, uh, but the, totally got fired there. Door shut, providence of God, because guess what? I went to seminary after that, all right? He gives us our daily bread as we pray for. He forgives us our debts. He leads us in his righteous way. It's no accident that when you look at the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the questions about God's, so how does God work out his will in his, in, his, in, in his works of creation and providence? Creation, we know. Genesis 1 and 2 covers creation. The rest of the Bible covers his providence. Right? And that includes our salvation. God is free to work miracles as he will in our lives. But the primary way that he operates in your life and mine is through his will and in providence. 
How did you come to faith? How did you get your current employment? How did you come to this church even today? Nobody teleported here, right? If you did, we need to talk after, right? Was it through miracles that you got your job, that you live in the house that you live, that you have what you have? Or is it through the sovereign working of the Lord's providence in your life as he uses creation to accomplish his glorious will? God is at work in your life now. He has been. He will. And so you need to, we need to understand the primary way that God works in our vocation is through his providence. And that also means that we need to embrace our calling, our vocation in every sphere of life. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, 17, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. He's saying, I tell everywhere I go, I tell them this thing, that everybody needs to embrace the life that has been assigned to them. It doesn't mean you don't try to improve your station. You don't try to make your life better. That's not what he's saying. He's not, he's not saying we need to you know, uh, put into place some kind of class system and no one can move around. That's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is that the calling that God has upon your life in the various, uh, in the various aspects of your life, he is you're being called to live as priests, as living sacrifices unto God in every area that God has given to you. And helpfully, uh, theologians uh, have, have broken this up generally into four spheres. They like to call, talk about spheres of influence, spheres of life. And that would be family, work, the church, and citizenship. These four massive spheres. And that mostly covers it, right, if you go through those four things. So how do we do that? How do we embrace our vocation in each of these spheres uh, well, uh, by embracing, we do it by embracing the various aspects of our life uh, that as God has assigned us. Embracing our vocation, our calling to our family means fulfilling, embracing the responsibilities that we have as children. We're all children, as children to our parents, to honor them, even as adult children. Embracing a responsibility to our spouse if we're married to model the relationship of Christ in the church. If our children, if we have them, to raise them to love and obey the Lord. To embrace that as God's calling upon us. It means to embrace our responsibilities in, in, in the employee and employer relationship. To know that if I have people under me at, at the place of my work, that God is calling me to be a faithful leader and to lead them well and to treat them well and to demand excellence from them, but not to lord my authority over them. And as an employee, to do what I can to do my best to serve, uh, to, to serve this, uh, this company or whatever it is that I work for, that is given to be diligent in my work, to be faithful in my labor. To embrace our vocation in the life of the church is not only to, uh, it, to simply live as a Christian, to be a nice person, or to come to worship on Sunday, but it is also to serve and love the brethren, to submit to the shepherds uh, and leadership of the church, that we may be faithful as a church in making and training up disciples of Christ. 
Embracing our vocation as citizens includes honoring the authorities that have been placed over us by God, obeying the laws of the land, and in our context in America, participating in and preserving the fundamentals of our democracy. This would also entail doing good to our neighbors and to those who are in need. Now these spheres, family, work, church, and citizenship, uh, they can overlap. They don't have to be completely distinct. Like for me, church and work completely overlap, right? I'm a pastor, right? <laughs> I, don't have a, I don't have a separate job apart from this. just depends on how things go. I don't know, I guess so, but we'll see. Um, but, uh, but right now, <laughs> they completely overlap. Um, but, uh, if someone is, uh, but if someone is a stay-at-home mom, you know, their family and their work overlap together, right? Uh, if someone's a politician, their work and their citizenship Overlap. So these spheres can overlap. They're not always completely uh, distinct. Uh, now, this all sounds really nice, and you're like, if everyone did this and everyone braced their callings to, to do all these things, well, we wouldn't have a problem in the world, would we? But then we have this little problem called sin and corruption. Spouses and children and parents all sin against each other. Employers lord their authority and make bad decisions and 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 uh, and. and mislead people the employees undermine their bosses and are lazy and don't do their jobs church leaders and members serve themselves and heap judgment on others and bear grudges and refuse to forgive one another public servants become corrupt and citizens uh, seek to get around the law or just break it whenever they can this is what makes our, our vocation our calling to live our lives as priests of god a challenge and it, honestly, it is the only, we can only do it by the grace of the Holy Spirit. This is why God has called us to, as his priests, a life of faith and repentance. Why he's given us the means of grace, the scriptures, prayer, and the sacraments. These are tools and helps given to us by God to help us live faithfully as priests of God. To enable us to make our lives living sacrifices unto him. Finally, vocation means we are called to glory. God calls us to glory. And two aspects to this. He calls us to glory because we labor for God. We work for God no matter where we work. Vocation means our calling. It is the totality of our relationships and experiences and decisions and actions in this life. God calls us where we are right now, today. Now, we can still misunderstand this. We can talk about spheres and how they overlap, and we can, and we can come up with different things. We can come up maybe with a picture that looks like this. And if we're really into circles, it looks really pretty, and I want to color that, you know, uh, that kind of thing. But... Uh, the, the problem with this type of view where you have work and family and citizen kind of always overlaps and sleep, seems really deep. Yeah, God at the center, that looks good. The problem is, is that it still assumes that God is only that little section at the center. And that God does not actually care or is not involved with any more than a certain portion of our work or family or our citizenship or the church even. The reality is, is that uh, we need to uh, widen the circle. 
Christian vocation includes all of life. It's a calling of the, it is the Christian life. Every breath that we take on this earth is lived out in Christian vocation. And we see this with the Apostle Paul, especially in all the whatever statements, right? I have children who like to say whatever, and Paul likes to say whatever, but in a very different way. Uh, and so he says in Colossians three seventeen, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. He says later in the same chapter, in verses 23 to 24, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. The Apostle Paul teaches us that whatever we do in any of these spheres, we are to do for, as for the Lord in the name of the Lord Jesus because he says we are serving Jesus Christ when we serve our family, when we punch the clock at work, when we engage with our community and society, and when we go to church. As parents, when we're wrestling with, the, with our own sin and the sin of our children with prayer and discipline, uh, we do so not because of our own pride, but because we serve the Lord Jesus. When we engage with our labors, uh, wherever they may be, uh, we, we do so not to meet the minimal requirement of our supervisors, but because we work in service of the Lord. That's why we work with integrity. That's why we work faithfully. That's why we produce excellence. When we serve in the church, installing a sink or serving food, caring for others, our brothers and sisters, we are serving Christ. And we do it because we serve the Lord. Now there's a sobering reality, responsibility, and a dignified nobility to know that Christ has called you where you are as you serve him in every area of life. And where we fall short where, where, where we confess our failures and our weaknesses, Christ meets us with his mercy and his grace as we labor for God and not for men. And that means we also labor for glory. To labor for the Lord is to labor for glory. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, another, uh, another whatever statement, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We are called by God to do everything in these spheres of our vocation for the glory of God. Everything? Yes, everything. Why? Because that's what God does. God does everything for his own glory. Every day, the earth completes its rotation and the Lord raises the sun before our eyes. He does it every day for his glory. Day after day, the earth continues. And it goes around its orbit year after year. He feeds the animals. He gives the birds their song. Every day he cares for us. Provides for us. 
through a whole variety of means that we cannot list here today. And he does it every day. To what end? His glory. Everything we do in our family, in our work, in our church, in our citizenship is for the glory of God. The way of our life is meant to bring praise to God, to magnify his perfections, to proclaim his goodness and grace. The doctrine of vocation then means that your life matters to God even if you don't think it does. We work for him. We bring glory to him. Because after all, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But how do we do that? Where is the place in which we grow in our faith? Where do we battle sin and increase in holiness? Where do we encourage one another, as long as today is called today, to love and good deeds in our vocation? In this series, we're going to look at each of these spheres, family, work, church, and citizenship. And we're going to consider what the doctrine of vocation says about each for us. But today we're considering the broader picture. Because our life, when we think about it, when we see it, our life may seem insignificant to us. Very small, because who are we? Nobody knows who we are. But our life is not small and insignificant to God. Our, God, our life was so significant to him that he sent his son Jesus to redeem us by his own blood and to call us into service to him. You matter. Your life matters. Christian, you are called to greater things than you recognize. You are called by the living God as you are, where you are, to labor for him unto his glory, knowing that you have a reward that you cannot imagine waiting for you from his hand in the end, which he delights to give you. And our calling here and our vocation is riddled with corruption and sin, making our labor hard with many sorrows to bear. But by the grace of the Holy Spirit, by the help of the means of grace, we can together fulfill our calling. By the mercies of God, we are called as priests to offer our bodies as living sacrifices for the glory of God. Christian, that is your vocation. That is our calling. Let us live it out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you call us, Lord, not to do incredible, crazy things, but rather that our life that you have given to us that seems so mundane and small and ordinary is invested with extraordinary significance and meaning. And so, Father, we thank you that there is not a class of special Christians or special believers, but that you call each of your people as priests to serve and love you. And Lord, we pray that we would embrace that calling, that we would cast off the things that, that trip us up, that, that cause us to doubt our calling, that we would look to Jesus, our great shepherd and the true high priest, that he would perfect us in our calling, Strengthen us and bless us and may the grace of your Holy Spirit strengthen us and make the means of grace 
effective for the sake of our souls, the effective that we may fulfill our vocation that you have called us to. We thank you, Lord. We give you glory and praise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's